It's time again for another episode of CMO Combo, the show where we help CMOs excel with in-depth discussions with marketing leaders and top thinkers. We're speaking to Kent Ungar, co-founder and president of the commercial sponsorship agency Charge, and we're exploring a tool that CMOs can use to cut through cluttered market spaces and reach the right audiences, finding the right sponsorship opportunities. Hi, Ken. Welcome to CMO Combo. How are you doing today? Thanks, Well, It's great to be here. It's, it's great to have you here. It's great to have you here because we're, we're exploring something that's very, very important at the moment. That's, that's clearing away the clutter of the marketplace so you can actually reach your audiences because it's the, the marketplaces are incredibly cluttered now. So before we do get into that, though, like maybe you want to introduce yourself to our audience a bit, tell us a bit about your professional background and, and your, the mission you've got going on at Charge. Sure. My name is Ken Unger and I'm the president and founder of Charge. We're a sponsorship marketing consulting firm. Uh, we're based in, in Indianapolis, Indiana in the U.S., but we have clients uh, all over North America and international clients beyond that as well. Uh, I came to marketing by a very circuitous path. Um, I started my career as an attorney. Uh, from there, I was in government service for four years. Um, so through that process, I learned about the arts of persuasion, um, persuading people in terms of uh, communications challenges. Um, I have a degree in both um, political science and business administration from university, but um, I went from law to government, and then I was lucky enough to stumble into sports marketing uh, relatively early in my career. I joined the staff of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IndyCar uh, when I was still quite early in my career and really fell in love with marketing, um, everything it stands for, what it does with people, consumers, uh, what it means to to companies, and in in the process of working with those organizations, I became um, the chief marketing officer at IndyCar, and uh, that really solidified my love affair with marketing. And I've been in marketing ever since. Founded this agency 16 years ago, um, and we help we basically help clients um, understand and leverage the power of sponsorship. So I'm assuming today that the way we're cutting through the clutter is through sponsorship. That is your, your expertise. Am I, am, I, am I right in thinking that? Yeah, I certainly am a true believer that um, sponsorship is a, is a clutter cutter. Um, and so um, and I'm happy to, to share with you and your audience specific ways that that happens. But I really sympathize with, you know, having been in the CMO role um, with, with basically the challenge that every CMO faces in taking their message and cutting through a horribly cluttered marketplace. And, and it's, it's, it's irregardless of what type of industry you're in, if you're in B2B or in B2C, like marketplaces are getting more and more busy and it's a good thing and a bad thing. Like more competition is good. It drives creativity when it comes to marketing. But even if you're like, if you're, if you're a market leader, all these new rivals coming up out the woodwork is bad for you if you're if you're just starting out with a startup it's it's got a hugely daunting task to actually to actually make your voice heard uh, amongst all the different competition but why has this happened is it is it just because there's more opportunity for businesses out there is it more verticals appearing out of a, out the woodwork like where where is this cluttered market marketplace come from yeah well that's a great question and i i think it's all of the above i mean so when i trace my career back you know, I remember marketing in the pre-internet era or the uh, when dinosaurs roamed the earth. The dark <laughs> so, ages, the dark ages. Yeah. <laughs> and so although we thought that the marketplace was cluttered, you know, in terms of, you know, television, advertising, radio, outdoor, that type of thing, 
Um, it really wasn't. Uh, I saw an infographic recently that, that really um, spoke to this issue. It talked about the 120 different marketing platforms. And so <laughs> when I was in business school, I can assure you there were not 120 marketing platforms. So if all of those platforms are hitting on all cylinders, so to speak, you have a lot of messages out there. And when you combine it with, you know, basically there are very few sh there are opportunities to shrink verticals, right? It's pretty much verticals are created every day, especially with technology, um, increasing verticals, you know, many times exponentially more uh, marketing platforms. And so you have this just this amorphous blob of messages that are bombarding consumers on a daily basis. And, and I suppose as well that because of the, the increase in channels as well, it's hard to tell where you should be looking to reach your audience as well, because your, your audience can be spread all over the place, especially now that like social media channels are diversifying a lot more in terms of like the, it used to be like it was just Facebook and Twitter and maybe Instagram if you're in B2B. Um, you definitely do Instagram if you're in B2C. But now like there's, there's TikTok, people aren't using Facebook as much anymore. People are dropping off certain other channels. People have dropped off Twitter. So it's, it's hard to even know where to find your audience as well. Like that, that's got to be part of the clutter, like deciding exactly where you're going to look for them. Yeah, exactly. And so I think the challenge for CMOs is, is two part. One is you have to keep your finger on the pulse to understand the advent of new platforms. I think like TikTok is a great example of that. Um, you have to understand kind of when others are fading or sunsetting in popularity. I mean, no one talks about MySpace anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so you really have to, to do that. And the, the pace of change, it tracks technology. So the, the doubling of technological change keeps shrinking. And so you see exponential technology changes, the rise of new SaaSes every day, many of which you know, are related to marketing. And that CMO is kind of challenged. He or she really has to keep their finger on the pulse of what's happening, what's fading, and what you know, and what's new, and what works, what's effective. Uh, that's going to be particularly difficult in in smaller organizations where CMOs are so so pressured to meet growth goals, to meet um, revenue goals, and stuff with their marketing. They don't really have time to be going out there exploring different channels. They don't really have time to be properly identifying the exact channels that they need to be using to reach consumers or reach uh, customers because they've got to stick to the tried and tested methods. They're not able to explore new opportunities. And that's got to have a major impact on not just the marketing for an organization, but the marketing for the marketing industry as a whole. We're not able to experiment as much anymore because we've got to be hitting those demand goals, those demand gen goals constantly. Oh, well, you raise a really, really good issue. And, and that's one of my focuses is I, I urge with CMO clients, CMO colleagues and friends, they have to carve out time to experiment. Um, and there has to be this um, lack of fear, this fearlessness towards experimentation uh, um, because really, you know, success is 99 failures the 100th time, right? <laughs> so if you don't take the time to experiment, you're, you're not finding the next TikTok. And you're not, you're not really focusing on what works for your products and services and connecting with your consumers. Um, so that's, that's, that's part and parcel of the process, I believe. So that's hopefully today we're going to give, we're not going to do the experiments for the CMOs, but we're going to, we're going to tell them maybe these are avenues that you could potentially look at to experiment with. Like we're going to, we're going to 
draw on your experience and try and pass out some some fairly tried and tested methods in your book is, is that right is that what i'm thinking yeah ab- absolutely and and so you know for example you know with sponsorship um and it, it, even if a cmo hasn't really dove in depth in the sponsorship area the power of it is third-party validation right it's there's a, it's a sponsorship is a relationship between a property and a brand and that property could be a sports team like manchester united or man city um and it or you know it could be a not-for-profit it could be a concert venue um and the brand but the power of sponsorship is you have that property validating how good the brand is and that image transfer benefits both the brands and the products and services that it sells um it could be a really really powerful clutter cutter um and that's that's one of the one of the things that we coach CMOs in in how to be, best leverage. But surely one of the one of the main things is identifying the right the right organization to sponsor the right people to get behind because you you don't want to be sponsoring someone who your audience isn't going to be paying attention to. Like it's all well and good saying you've got validation, but if they don't see that you're sponsoring this organization, that's going to be a major issue. Like I always think of how um, um, maybe the differences between um, the major automobile racing in the world, you've got, you've got NASCAR in the States, you've got F1 in Europe, Ferrari sponsors F1 teams, Ford, I know they do sponsor an F1 team, but Ford puts most of the money behind NASCAR because that's where their audience is. They know where their, their audience is. Like, their audience isn't watching F1, but F Ferrari's audience is watching F1. But so is that, is that something you coach, um, coach CMOs through is to kind of identifying the right sponsorships to take? That's exactly right, Will. And, I, and it's like... It, it starts with the audience, right? It starts with your customer base. That's, that's an audience. And the better you know your customers, the more likely you are to engage in a productive sponsorship. And then you have to know the properties um, um, you know, audience, mm-hmm. because really what you're doing is you're looking at it from a Venn diagram perspective and looking at the overlap where your customers hang out with a property. Um, those are the best sponsorships. And the worst ones, as you kind of alluded to, are when your customers, you know, from a psychographic perspective or demographic perspective, have no interest in the property that you're sponsoring. Those are unproductive. They're a waste of money and time. Um, many times CMOs blame the sponsorship platform <laughs> as to blame. But what it is, it's a mismatch of audience. That's, that's really kind of what happens in those circumstances. So is, is this sort of like a step-by-step process that you'd advise taking to, to identify, like the, the identify the right the right uh, sponsorship opportunities? Like, is, is there sort of like a, a vetting process that you go through? Because it's not just about are they right now. You've got to think about are they, they going to be right in the future as well. Is it is it worth getting into like a long-term contract with these people to to uh, is there is that audience going to remain consistent all the way through? Is there any trouble on the horizon in terms of that that company, particularly with with sports teams, I know, I know we've talked about sports teams a bit already, but you've got to think about their, their prospects in the future. You don't want to be sponsoring a team that isn't going to win any, any championships and win any awards. So is that, is that part of the process, do you think, that, you've, that CMO's got to take on board? Yeah, exactly. The, the process that we um, recommended, again, it starts with your, your consumer base, your customers, understanding them, looking I, – I, I tend to think that the best opportunities lay in the psychographic profile of it, of them. It's, you know, for example, what are their interests? What are their values? What are their hobbies? The pastimes that they pursue. If you understand your, 
consumers and prospective consumers on a granular basis, that that has all the breadcrumbs of where you need to go from a sponsorship perspective. Um, you just got to follow the breadcrumbs to the right property. And the next part of that process is to really, this is where the CMO gets to pull different levers um, on choosing, and we call it the, the tiers of cultural influence. Um, in what areas do they think that they would have the most productive marketing strategy? Is it sports? Is it fashion? Is it lifestyle? Is it all these different, is it music? And then within that, um, there is a, a matchmaking process of matching properties in those tiers to the interest of your customers and the values and all those things. And that process, um, that multi-step process is the sponsorship process. And, and of course, it would be like if you're in the sports tier, um, if there's a good match with your audience, a winning team is always going to give you more benefit than one that doesn't because <laughs> that's the success, you know, measure of success in sports um, is, is victory on the field of play, whether it's auto racing or football or, or, or whatever sport it happens to be. Definitely. Definitely. Um, it's, uh, I'm just going to focus on one word that you mentioned there, which is values and brand values have become even more important than ever in the last few years. People really, particularly when amongst younger audiences, particularly among Gen Z, Gen Z, having shared brand values is very important in terms of the brands they support, whether it's to do with uh, sustainability, whether it's to do with um, certain political movements that they're involved with. Is sponsorship a route to sort of like walk the walk in that re respect? You mentioned sponsoring um, NGOs earlier. Is that certainly a route you could take for CMOs to show like showcase the brand values that they have by supporting the right organizations. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Will. And I, I really kind of like the perspective that, you know, brands have values because really a brand is who you are and what you stand for. And so if you stand for the things that you mentioned, sustainability, social justice, all of those consumers want to know that because, you know, the survey data that we're seeing is consumers align with brands that share their values. And so there's this area in sponsorship that's become incredibly productive called purpose-driven sponsorship. It is this alignment, this mutual alignment between brands and NGOs that share that value. It used to be called corporate social responsibility. It got a lot of lip service, I think, 10 years ago. But now it, I think consumers have made brands accountable. And, and so you see these alignments in terms of sponsorship. And again, I think the power of it is third-party validation where you have, by the alignment with that NGO, it's telling consumers, listen, it's like the good housekeeping seal of approval. Um, it's that validation where consumers go, that brand must be good because they're aligning with this organization that I believe in. Yeah, you, you can't get away with just like changing your logo to the pride colors during pride month or um, set, doing a couple of posts about black history or black owned businesses on black history month like you need to actually show that you are supporting those types of um, organizations if, if that's what your brand's values align with of course and yeah i, I feel like sponsorship could be a, a very good route to go there so this all makes sense from a branding perspective but cmos they don't have the opportunity just to go off and do whatever they want with the brand and the resources they have they have to show the value behind doing these kinds of things so how can a CMO show the value of sponsorships to say their CEO or their CRO who has demands on their on, on revenue streams that they've got to provide? How can they show that the sponsorship is a potential revenue stream? 
Yeah, I think that's a great issue. And my advice on the sponsorship front is exactly the same that I, advice that I give to friends and colleagues and clients who are CMOs. And that is the strongest way to show value is through a, a, a set of return on investment metrics that is mutually agreed upon. And it's that last part that I think really gets lost in the corporate clutter. Again, um, the CMO, he or she comes into that position, often thinks, listen, I'm going to set, as the chief marketing officer, I'm going to set the metrics um, that are success, that are success metrics in marketing because it's my area. Mm -hmm. And that's a mistake, right? Because you have, you know, the, the, the CEO might be an engineer, the CRO might be an accountant, the CFO, again, um, I come from the financial services industry, all these different things. They're not marketers. So they don't necessarily understand in minute detail, like a CMO does, what does success look like? I think if there's a process that happens internally where those success metrics are mutually agreed upon, I think they are much stronger at the end of the day in demonstrating value because there's no one from the outside shooting in right? There are no bullets inbound um, towards the CMO uh, because, again, those metrics were mutually agreed upon. And so when they occur or don't occur, there's this shared feeling of success or a shared feeling like, hey, we've got to make some you know, real-time adjustments to our strategy. But often that mutually agreed upon aspect doesn't happen. And it's not just making sure they're mutually agreed upon. It's making sure they're mutually understood. You can't just use marketing jargon and marketing buzzwords as your KPIs, they had to be something that someone who has no marketing background could understand within the C-suite. Like you've got to be able to communicate the value in terms that they understand clearly. It has to be terms that a CRO would understand a CFO. Not, and it, it works both ways as well, like in terms of how they set targets and goals. What, what a great point. That is such a great point. And, and I've seen it because um, in, in the course of my career and our, in our, um, the work, the client work that our consulting firm does, we've worked with a, a high, high number of engineers and doctors in the medical field. And so you have, and often in executive directors and, and chief executive officers who come from a, a science-related background where things can be proven by the law of physics. <laughs> and so you often, you, your point, Will, about understanding is so key because a lot of times people coming from those backgrounds don't understand why marketing can't be measured with the same degree of certainty as science. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that mutual understanding part, taking the time to describe the challenges of marketing metrics and ensuring understanding on both sides of it, um, you raise a great point because that's so key and I've seen it um, in client relationships. So, so when it comes to setting up the, the sponsorship agreements and the, the maybe the KPIs that you're setting there, would it be worth having other other stakeholders involved in that conversation or should that just be a CMO having that conversation and they sort of translate the terms of the agreement to the rest of the um the rest of the stakeholders within the C-suite always and anytime you can is is what I recommend is having <laughs> stakeholders outside the process participate um uh, again it's going to seem like a burden um and it's and it's you it takes a lot of patience to do that but you instead you're creating this process of consensus building creates marketing advocates all throughout the organization. And that cascades throughout the organization. Um, and the benefits of that, it's like putting a deposit in a bank account. It's when you take the time to do that, you are depositing all this goodwill, which you will reap down the road in good times or bad, 
right? In the good times, um, marketing will get the credit for its accomplishments, but in the bad, you, again, you won't have all this inbound fire from people kind of taking pot shots at the CMO and his or her staff um, because, again, they were part of the process as well. Definitely, definitely. So let, let's talk about the ways that you can actually measure the success of, of a sponsorship deal. Like, uh, of course, like brand awareness, like social media buzz, your, your logo actually appearing on screen in major sporting events, That's that's got to be a huge thing. But are there, are there any other like me- metrics that CMO should really focus on when they're setting up these kinds of agreements? Yeah, and you, you, you hit it on the head, Will. It's kind of the, the, two, the two areas are brand benefit, increased brand awareness, um, increased brand consideration, all those things. We've, we've seen companies use sponsorship to reform their brand. If their brand is very poorly um, perceived, how to, how to improve that through sponsorship. So there's this whole um, series of metrics around brand, and usually that's demonstrated by survey data. Um, if it's an event sponsorship, uh, survey data around the event. Uh, if it's a national sponsorship or international sponsorship, um, a more a, a wider survey with a, a broader consumer base. And then you have metrics on the sales side. Um, so you have spon- sponsorship being used to lift product and service sales directly. Uh, the, the idea is that the audience of the property is more inclined uh, to perceive your message positively. And that'll translate either B2B or B2C in Lyft uh, on the sales, whether it's a product or a service. So there are metrics around that. And you see this in a lot of the beverage companies from a consumer product perspective, like all that event sponsorship money, they are looking for lift of cases sold, whether it's you know soda or beer, um, lift of cases sold in market around events tied to the sponsorship. So they're they get very scientific in terms of um, how they look at their sales lift around sponsorship. I, I suppose that is the advantage with beverage companies because the events that they're sponsoring are likely to be events where people will be consuming those beverages as well. So it is literally just like a form of advertising during the game to have those, those sponsorships in place. Like, um, for example, um, I, I, I recently spent the weekend watching a lot of rugby and mm-hmm. the, the Six Nations Championship that's on right now in Europe is sponsored by Guinness in the UK. And I drank a heck of a lot of guinness while i was watching it <laughs> whether that's because it's it, it, it certainly worked on me um, <laughs> but what about when it comes to like maybe certainly like b2b companies might not have those kinds of consumer metrics in place like what what about when it comes to say a, a SaaS b2b SaaS piece of software yeah, like, yeah is- great great question and and so with b2b sponsorships it generally comes down to access so um the sponsors have access to a property in a way that a normal company does not. So a lot of times you see B2B companies either ex, you know, exclusive exposure to that audience of their product or service, or if they're entertaining, you know, so hospitality is often a key part of sponsorship. They're providing this one of a kind access to their potential customers. There's all kinds of data demonstrating how that speeds up the sales cycle. So if you have a six-month or 12-month sales cycle, whatever B2B product or service you have, there's data that demonstrates that it shrinks that, Um, again, because you're giving your prospects access to an event they wouldn't ordinarily have. And also, your executives have access to the prospects directly, right? In your rugby example, if you're watching from a suite, um, you're sitting around drinking Guinness and, you know, kind of talking shop, um, 
with, you know, your prospects for the entire match. And so that all those reap benefits in terms of B2B sales down the road. Definitely, definitely. And, and I imagine as well, like, it must be, it must be a real good source of, as you said, shrinking that validation stage of the, of the buying cycle, that, that stage where people are considering, like, is this a trustworthy company or not? And having your name attached to a company or an event that is considered trustworthy, it, it, it shares that sort of trust. It gives you, allows you to bask in the glow of their trustworthiness, I suppose, is a way of putting it. Yeah, I, in, we recently wrote a book called Sponsorship Strategy. And in that, we talk about that, that's called image transfer. And we talk about image transfer as the superpower of sponsorship. If I feel that the property has a great image, I'm going to think the sponsors do as well. That transfer, uh, again, is measurable and demonstrable. And so um, that is a superpower of sponsorship for sure. So let, let's talk practicalities. Let's say, let's say we, we've got a CMO and a B2B startup. They've just come into some nice bit of resources they can devote to brand building activities. And they're thinking about exploring sponsorship. What would you advise in terms of how they go about it? Should they, should they cast their net wide? Should they focus on building like one really good partnership? Like what, what do you see as the best, the best route? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, sponsorship is something that you can get in trouble really fast. Um, and so, and the reason, one of the reasons is, is that generally the best sponsorships are not short-term. So when you start, you're the CMO and you start signing long-term sponsorship agreements and they don't work, um, we've seen both CMOs and CEOs lose their job over something like that. We recommend two things, start small, test and experiment, um, do something that through your research you feel best aligns, but start small. And the second thing, and this is often a mistake that we see in the marketplace, is there's two components to a sponsorship. One is a rights fee. So if you sponsor a sporting team, you're going to pay them a fee to sponsor the team. But the second part is called leverage or activation. And that's the monies that you put into integrated marketing campaigns around your sponsorship, social media, PR, advertising, whatever. Um, but you have this activation process of bringing your rights in that, in that property to life. Um, the mistake that brands often make is not reserving enough budget to be able to activate properly because they've spent all the money um, on rights. So if you sponsor a Premier League soccer team, uh, football team in, in the UK, you're going to spend a lot of money on rights. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So you better have a lot of money um, or at least as much. We generally recommend 0.5 to one or one to one to activate those rights. So those two things, start small experiment and test and to have enough to activate your rights after the, after the deal is done. And I suppose that doesn't mean just starting off with like small fish to sponsors. I suppose you could look at like the big fish that you would really want to sponsor and dip your toe in with like just sponsoring an event that they're putting on or something like that, or sponsoring something small within the organization, seeing what kind of benefits you get from that. And then you could look into doing bigger, more intense sponsorship partnerships, I suppose. Is that, is that a, a route that you would advise taking? Yeah, it, it, it is. And I, I think the best examples of that come from the world of motorsports. So if you take Formula One, for example, mm -hmm. um, if you go in and what's called an associate sponsorship level. So those are the small decals that, that you yeah. see on the cars. Um, it's not the primary sponsorship, which you generally see um, big and bold, usually on the side pod of a Formula One car. Um, 
So all those associate sponsors are experiencing the sponsorship at a lower level, testing, understanding. It's less of a financial commitment. Uh, but often you see them grow into um, that primary sponsorship position once they learn and once they experience benefit. Uh, recently saw on the Red Bull team, uh, Oracle, which had been an associate sponsor uh, of the Red Bull F1 team, take the um, primary uh, position within sponsorship. So that that's an example. I think motorsports provides a great example of kind of that recruitment process of taking small sponsorships and turning them into much bigger ones. Well, Red Bull itself is an excellent example of a, of a brand that's taken sponsorship and built an entire brand around that. Like they, most of their advertising, most of their marketing is built around sponsoring certain events and certain um, sports teams and stuff like that. Absolutely. So I think that's a great I example to look at. Red yeah. Bull is a great example of a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume you're not advising all CMOs to start sponsoring people to jump out of airplanes and stuff no. like that. <laughs> it, well, right. The, the great thing about that is it's, it's, it's authentic to their brand. Mm-hmm. Right. Brands are about behaviors. So, you know, Red Bull gives you wings. So, of course, you're going to jump out. You're going to you're going to make a jump uh, parachute jump from space. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that, that has to be oh, it's such a perfect piece of marketing that like, it, everyone spoke about it. And it was all based around the sponsorship. And I think that's a great example of how you can cut through the clutter. Like no one was talking about anything else on social media for days. They were oh, talking yeah. about the Red Bull jump and they would say it, calling it the Red Bull jump as well. So I think that's a great example of how this yeah, can work. You have a lot of CMOs that, that look at Red Bull as case, many different kinds of case studies. Uh, Cause again, they know who they are. They do it very well. They execute on an extremely high level. Um, the strategy is good. Um, their media strategy, everything. Um, th- there's a lot of case studies that CMOs look at Red Bull for. Definitely, definitely. So there's, there's a, I was about to ask what are, what are the examples and resources you can look at, um, but that is an excellent example right there. Um, what, what, so say someone is looking to explore the possibilities of sponsorships, where, where, does, where should they look for resources? You, you mentioned you've written a book recently. Where is that, where's that available, Ken? Yeah, so uh, our, our book is available around the world via Amazon. Uh, it's both paperback and Kindle. So on electronic format, and then it's in the Apple bookstore as well. So those are three places that you can uh, obtain the book sponsorship strategy. I wrote it really for CMOs because I wanted to promote best practices and sponsorship across uh, the entire um, marketing uh, profession. So um, that's available. There are other resources for CMOs that are available on our website at chartsponsorship.com, including many free resources, but Again, we want our goal is for people to leverage sponsorship in the way that best helps their brands. Uh, however, that happens, whether they hire us or not, we want sponsorship to flourish as a marketing platform. Definitely, definitely. I think it is a very viable uh, platform. As we discussed, there are many, many examples out there of where it's been highly successful, even for things that you might not necessarily think are connected. You can have, you can sponsor certain brands and sponsor certain organizations that you might not necessarily see as being aligned with you but when you dig it right down to like the values that and the shared customer base that you have that's that's got to be the most important thing that then the sky's the limit and the possibilities are endless in terms of like where you can take sponsorship i suppose uh, absolutely and and as long as you know and this puts a premium and something that i learned over time kind of in marketing puts a premium on truly knowing your customer because uh, a lot of a lot of people say they do but in reality they don't 
truly understand their customer in a way that allows them to leverage, whether it's advertising, social media, or sponsorship, uh, it all starts with the customer. So the more that you understand them, the more you'll understand what behaviors and messages will persuade them. Excellent. I think that's an excellent, excellent point to end it on there, Ken, because that's, that is the root of all marketing right there is understanding your customers and their needs and their, their desires. So, um, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to leave that there. Uh, thank you very much, Ken. It's been great speaking to you today and I'm sure our audience has enjoyed it as well. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you very much again, Ken. Uh, thank you to our audience and I'll be back. Well, we'll be back soon with some more CMO combo.